there was research that was just released, and they were studying theology in our country, in our nation, where are people at, and what they have found is this is professing believers are far less theologically grounded today than ever before. And one of the things that they have discovered is a growing um, sense from people that, again, that would profess to be believers, that they're really not that bad. There's kind of a sense that I'm really not that bad. I'm really, you know, I mean, God wouldn't just send me to hell for little things that, that you would be eternally judged because of, um, you know, just any simple little sin. Like, I don't know, like maybe eating from a tree. God said, just don't eat from that tree. You know, I mean, why would God send somebody to hell eternally because they rejected the wisdom of God, giving them everything they could possibly need, and then they would reject that in and choose to go their own way and do what they want to do. Why would God send somebody to hell because of eating some fruit? I mean, seriously. The problem is they, we have lost an accurate view of the holiness of God. We really don't see God to be really that holy. And therefore, if God's really not that holy, then I'm really not that unclean. And if I'm not really unclean, do I really need to be and so we read a book like Leviticus, and it's just honestly shocking that God would be so uptight about making them do all this different, you know, kind of sacrificial things. And, you know, they have certain animals they could sacrifice and couldn't sacrifice, certain things they could eat and they couldn't eat, certain things they could wear and they couldn't wear, and all these different things. And this, these certain things made them unclean, and these other things would be, you know, punishable to death and all that. You know, why is God, why is he like that? What's the deal? What's the problem? And why would God do these things? And why God, they got to just dream up all of these different rules and then lay it upon his people that are supposed to live up to these rules? The reality is that God is, again, is a holy God. Holy means he is set apart. He is different. He is other. There really is no word that any human has ever had that can describe that which is indescribable. And you, we just are really... It's difficult for us to de- describe the holiness of God. You can't describe it. It's beyond our comprehension. We, we, there's no way we could get our minds around what it means for God to be holy. The only attribute of God that was ever repeated three times is the holiness of God. God has never been called loving, 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 or nice, 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 but he is called holy Holy, holy. I want you to understand that the angels did not stutter when they said that. They were declaring a reality about God that is intrinsically connected and woven into his essence. God in his essence is holy and set apart and other and different from us. And you and I, we are sinful the opposite of holiness we are common and therefore we are unclean we're unclean our lives our souls our minds our will our emotions all of them are train wrecks they are broken they're messed up And even though we're capable of doing some good things and showing some love and having affection and having some noble good desires and passions and whatever, even all of those things are still broken and tainted 
with sin and the fact that we are unclean before God. God in His grace has given His people a series of offerings for them to have a restored fellowship with Him, to have, for them to be brought into a right relationship with Him. And so those offerings, He gives us the beginning of Leviticus. There's five of them, and so we've been over two of them, and we're going to cover the third uh, this morning. The first one is the burnt offering, and that's the foundation for all of, our, all of the other offerings. It was offered every morning and every night. The priests would begin and end the day with burnt offerings, and worshipers, many worshipers would bring um, would bring the burnt offering to their burnt offering to God. The beginning of the day, end of the day, uh, offerings would be brought to God, and they were animals that were placed on the altar, and they were burned completely. The whole animal was given to God and was burned and was consumed with fire, and it was an aroma given up to God, and it satisfied God's wrath that burned towards sin. God sets the fire on the brazen altar. From the holy place. So he set up his tabernacle. Fire comes out from the tabernacle, consumes it, and they kept that thing burning for hundreds and hundreds of years until God set up or, or consumed the fire when they built Solomon's temple. Solomon built the permanent temple where they would worship God, semi-permanent because Babylon destroyed it. We'll talk about it another day. And so this is kind of a picture of what's going on in there. Priests are ministering on behalf of the people. So burnt offering every morning, every night, burnt offerings are brought before God, and they continuously burn, appeasing uh, God's wrath. And that is what all the rest of the offerings were on top of this offering. In fact, the offering we're going to talk about today was, was on top of this. Last week, we talked about the grain offering, sometimes called the fellowship offering. And this is where they would bring some of the fruit of their harvest, of different things that they have grown, and some grain specifically with some oil and they would uh, mix that together with some frankincense, and they would burn it on the altar. And, and so just like Cain brought an, uh, an offering to God, and it was rejected, and yet Abel brought an offering of blood, Genesis chapter 4, and it was accepted by God, their offering of grain, first fruits also, was placed on top of the offering of the blood. So the blood offering is what justified them before God was what removed their sin so that they could have a right relationship with God and then on top of that the process of sanctification taking our good works and the stuff we're doing is built upon God's finished work we don't do good things to earn more of God's love or to appease the wrath of God the wrath of God has been quenched and our sin has been covered that's what atonement means it's been covered by the blood of Christ and so God has covered our sin, and is withholding his wrath towards us because of the burnt offering, more specifically because of Christ, but, and then the good things we do or that they would do were accepted to God because of the blood. And then there was a third offering they could bring, and it was called the peace offering. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the peace offering. And so in chapter 3, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female. So that's the first notable difference from the other offerings. This could be, not didn't have to be an unblemished male. It could be a male or female. And part of that's because it's going to be used for food later. And so they, God was a little more, um, this was, could be, there's a little more freedom on this offering. He shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay on his hand, lay on his hand, uh, I'm sorry, lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they would go to the tent of meeting right here, 
at the entrance there, there's a gate. Uh, they, he would go to there, and they would lay their hands on the, on the animal that they're going to offer to God and would confess their sins, and often they would confess the reason why they're bringing this offering to God. So in this situation, there's a couple different reasons. We'll look at that in a second. And they would confess that, kind of state the reason why they're bringing this offering to God, this peace offering, um, and, and what the reason behind it was. And so uh, the worshiper identifies, confesses the reason for offering. Aaron's sons and the priests shall throw his, the blood again against the uh, sides of the altar. So they catch the blood after it's, it's sacrificed. They're catching the blood in a, in a bowl, and they would take it, and they would throw it against the sides of the altar. Again, the, the life of the animal is in it, its blood, and the blood is to be set apart for God, not to be consumed or eaten or drank or anything. It was to be completely drained from the animal, poured on the side of the altar, because it pictures life. And the life of the animal is being taken in place of their life. Their life is being extended, and they're being forgiven because this animal's life has been and blood has been shed on their behalf. And so that's what's happening here. Aaron's sons throw the blood against the side. But then here's another distinguishing thing, verse 3. And from the sacrifice of peace offerings, um, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering, the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver or the fat parts on the outside of the liver, that he shall remove from the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar, on the top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. Fire set by God. Wood there to keep everything burning. The burnt offering is the foundation for the peace offering. You got that? You see that? So burnt offerings happening that opens up the door for fellowship with god and so this is a peace offering a thanksgiving offering a celebration offering for what god has done that they place on top literally they bring the burnt offering they place this on top of that offering aaron's son shall burn it on the top of the burnt offering which is on the wood and the fire and it is an offering and it is an food offering with a pleasing aroma to the lord and if this offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female. He shall offer it without blemish. And if he offers the lamb of his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of this offering, kill it in front of the tent of meeting. Aaron's son shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of peace offering, he shall offer it as a food offering to the Lord. It's fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail cut off uh, close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails, the rest of it's the same. The only distinguishing difference in the sheep is they have a kind of sheep. Uh, you can actually Google this and check it out. There's certain sheep that actually have kind of a fat tail. Um, some of them so big that they would actually put a little cart behind it so they could kind of keep it clean, I guess. And because it was so big, it would drag on the floor. And, and so these are, they are fat-tailed sheep, evidently. Who knew there was such a thing? Never met one. But evidently, they exist, and so that's what he's saying. That part was sacred for God. That was going to be burnt on the altar also. And so then the third offering that they, were, they, could, they could bring before the Lord, verse 12, is the offering of a goat. If his offering is of a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on its head, kill it at the front of the tent of meeting. Sons of Aaron shall throw the blood on the sides of the altar. He shall offer it, the offering of the food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails, the liver. It was all to be consumed on the fire, and the priest shall burn them, verse 16, on the altar as a food offering 
with a pleasing aroma to God. And then he ends the section by saying, All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. All right, so what is going on in this offering? What in the world is all of this about? Well, there's several things to note in this uh, passage of Scripture. So uh, one of the things is there's three reasons mentioned in Leviticus 7, a little further on, um, after all the offerings are mentioned. There's some details about each offering, and, and some of the details about this offering are specified in Leviticus 7. And so what we gather from that is there's three reasons they would bring a peace offering to God. One of those reasons was it was a confessional offering. Confessional offering. What does that mean? Well, usually it connected them to God's deliverance. It was a testimony of God's deliverance for them. God had delivered them in some way. Psalms 56, verses 12 through 13, you can write down as a cross-reference. It says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings, otherwise known as peace offerings, saying this is the offering he's talking about, to you. Thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And so one of the things was it was a confessional offering. So God, maybe they were praying and asking God to deliver them, and therefore they would do this offering. Maybe God had delivered them, and so they would do this offering. So whatever the circumstance, it was, it was a confessional um, offering, confessing God has come through. God has delivered me. God has provided a way when I didn't think that there was going to be a way. He came through. I worried about this situation. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, I am surely doomed, and yet God came through, and it was incredible. And so instead of that just happening, going, wow, awesome, and then moving on to the next thing, they would pause. They would get their animal. They would bring it all the way to the center of the camp, to the door of the tabernacle um, outer court, and sacrifice an animal in praise and worship to God because what God had done for them. That was how big of a deal and how, how um, soft their hearts were to be in praising God for the things he has, he has done for them. The second reason for this uh, thanks or peace offering was a vow offering. It was done as a vow. Perhaps worshiper, a person had made a vow to God and God had answered his prayers. You say, well, you're not supposed to vow anything like that. You're not supposed to swear or I swear that God, or God, I vow if you do that. Have you ever been in a situation where things are really tough and you're like, God, if you get me out of this, I will. You ever done that? God, if you, if you fix this problem, if you heal me, if you provide in this situation, if you, I will, this, I, it's going to be different. This, I am going to. When you did that, when it, whenever they would make a vow for various reasons uh, and God provided the way or as uh, a testament for what God's provision, they, they, would, they were encouraged to bring a vow offering. So one example of that most prominent is in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Elkanah and Hannah vowed that if God gave them a child, they were able to have children, if God gave them a child, that they would offer that child to be a Nazarite. And the Nazarite, certain things, uh, Samson's the most notable Nazarite, his hair they wouldn't cut their hair, and there's certain things they couldn't touch, and there's certain things they couldn't drink. Couldn't drink alcohol. They couldn't um, cut their hair. They uh, were supposed to um, be uh, set apart 
not ever touch anything dead. There's several things that they were not to do, and Samson broke all of those, and God judged him for it. But they said, she said, I will set apart my child to be a Nazarite. God, if you, if you gave me a child, I, I would do that. And so, sure enough, God gives them Samuel. Okay? And Samuel, uh, when he was old enough to be weaned from his mother, she comes, uh, Hannah brings three bulls. It's either three bulls or uh, a bull three, around three years old. It's hard to understand the, the language there. And brings, it as a, brings them as a peace offering before God. So as a testament, God, if you give me a child, I will blah, blah, blah. And God provides. And so as a testament of what God had done, she offers to God a peace offering based on that vow that she had given. The third reason is as a free will offering. If you experienced uh, an unexpected blessing, something just, God just blesses in a certain way. Maybe you're um, late for school, for work, for whatever, and you, you just happen to get a parking spot right in the front, okay? Or, or uh, maybe you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, and, and somehow something happens in there, there, you get an extra little check, or a rebate comes in, or your tax returns a little higher than you expected to be, or whatever. Somehow... God comes through and provides in some way, and, and you're just going, man, I, that's a God, thank you, God. for. I didn't even know to ask, and yet you graciously provided in this way. That would be an example of a time that they would offer this back to the Lord. So if you experience unexpected blessings sent to you or um, the worshiper, maybe they just want to thank God for just his general goodness. I mean, James says every good gift comes from the Father of lights. God is the giver of all good gifts. If there's something good in your life today or any day, it comes from the father of gifts, of good gifts. God is gracious and gives to his children. Often when we don't even ask, he graciously provides for us so much. And so they, this will be one of the things that would just, God, you're so good. I want to give back as you have given. I want to sacrifice just to declare to the world that you are so gracious in how you provide for me. And so the peace offerings celebrate the fact that forgiveness of sins had been, had, had, had been made and, and they had communion with God and in their ongoing relationship with God. God was a God who came through and delivered his people. God was a God who came through and, and answered um, the needs of his people and uh, when they had requests and made vows before God, God would come through and was faithful. God just generally pours out his benevolent provision upon their lives. And so all of those were reasons to cause them to worship God. It was just a simple offering of thanks to God, which was the peace offering. That is the peace offering. And so understanding these things, some things that we can learn from uh, the peace offering, I want to bring home a couple key things for us to note in this passage. Help us see how this is relevant for us today. Again, they, they can offer, the offering could be male or female, parts of the offering, not burned. This is a little unclear in the verses I've read so far, but understand that the parts of the offering that were not burned, the fat portions are for God. The other portions were to be consumed by the worshiper. They were to be eaten by the worshiper. They were going to get to eat it. And so, in fact, anytime you sacrificed an animal for your food, for your family or for yourself or whatever, you were to bring it before the temple and it was to be offered as an offering or you would be bringing condemnation on yourself because you would have spilt the blood of the animal out in the um, wilderness or in some unholy place instead of bringing it and it being offered to God at the altar, 
You were to bring sin upon yourself if you were to sacrifice and take the life of an animal without doing it in the midst of a peace offering. Anytime they ate meat, it was to be a peace offering. So if you go to different parts of Africa, some places, uh, bananas are the staple diet. Um, they're mashed up, kind of like mashed potatoes, very starchy. Rice in some places, grits or um, cornmeal mashed up, kind of like grits, but a little stickier. Um, cornmeal in other places. In America, our staple diet is not bread, it's not rice, it's not um, cornmeal, it's, it's not beans. Our staple diet for most Americans is meat. We just eat meat. I mean, if we're not going to eat anything else, we've got to eat some meat. All the time, right? Many of you, may, we might have some vegetarians in the room, I don't know, but staple diet. And so for us, it's kind of like, man, that would be awful difficult. Well, it was a special thing to sacrifice an animal that you're raising in your little farm that helps you with your provisions and you bring that before the Lord. That was a special thing. It wasn't an everyday deal. And so this was a sacred offering brought to God. So in Eastern cultures, to this very day, eating a meal together is a sign of friendship, a sign of unity. It's, it's a very uh, common um, and very special thing. You don't just eat lunch because you just got to eat and you eat your meat. and you, It was a sign of unity and of fellowship. And so the fellowship offering was an expression of joyful thanksgiving. The worshiper was at peace with God and, and therefore peace with his fellow man. And because of that, this offering was celebrated and they would eat before the Lord. Now, why the fat and the blood? What is the deal there? Well, I've already mentioned the blood was sacred and holy as it represented life. And the fat portions of the animal, um, we can't be certain exactly what was the fat, what was the problem, but um, Calvin, he suggested, and I, I think this to be true, it represented the best part of the animal. I think this is hilarious. I, I think for some people, this is one of those almost coffee mug verses for some of you guys that are very diet conscious that at the very last passage uh it, it says all fat is the lord's you almost want to put that in your coffee like, yeah you shouldn't eat that stuff fat's bad for your heart bad for every you don't eat fat that's gross that's nasty but in other cultures that's the best part i'll never forget being in um minsk belarus former republic of the soviet union first international mission trip i ever had the opportunity to go on just after the fall of of the soviet union and uh, we were ministering to college students, getting to know college students. And so we're, we're hanging out in this one room, and, and they brought us the best food that they um, had. They brought us some mashed potatoes with some um, meat in them, and um, really good. This one specific home, they brought us some bread and this thing that looked like a big hunk of cheese. I said, what's that? And you go, oh, you got to try it. And they would toast it a little bit, and then they would slice it off and put it on a piece of bread. And I'm asking them, what am I about to eat? Whatever. And they tried to say what it was in, in Russian, and um, I didn't know. We didn't really have a good translator at that moment. And they're trying to figure out some way to communicate that. And then finally they said, um, this is like, um, I think you say uh, pig fat. I'm thinking American cheese. They're saying pig fat. I said, oh, you mean like, we call that lard. And I go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's it. It's pig fat. And so it was the one thing, in all my travels, I really had a hard time choking down. I mean, I took a bite of that thing, and I just, and it, you know, it's up and down and up. And there was a tug of war going on, you know, between two worlds. And finally, I was able to get that thing down. And it was, whoa, it was not, it was gross to me. But for them, it was, a, it was a, it, they were giving us the best they had. And so in other cultures, and other worlds, the fat is the best because they need that. They don't eat a lot of meat, and so that fat is an important 
um, long-term energy for them and helpful for them and their health. And so it was the best part of the animal. And so when you gave a peace offering before the Lord, that portion was a picture of honor and of value. And the best part was set apart for God. Now, our response to that might be simply this. Why does God need our food? Is he hungry? You put some money in the offering plate, and you say, but does it ever occur to you, you know, why am I giving money to God? Why is this for God? God doesn't need this money. God doesn't need this building. God doesn't need, what, is, what does he need money for? And we even know, some, you've heard it quoted before, God has <clears throat> the cattle on a thousand hills. You've heard that before? Where do we find that? Well, in Psalms 50, verse 12 says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, God says. For the world and its fullness, all of its fullness is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most holy God and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God's not looking for the fat or for your money or for your... We give those things out of a testament and, and a picture of our hearts. They expose the true motives of our hearts. Can you even begin to wrap your mind around how expensive it was for them to worship God? There's no 10% about it. There's no 10%. Okay, the, the, the scriptures that talk about giving a 10% to God, I mean, they're in the law. They're part of the Mosaic law. But that's not even part of this Burnt offering, fellowship offering, first fruits offering, peace offering. It's not even part of that deal. Okay, so they're giving offerings to God freely, sacrificing significant parts of their wealth, the money that they have, the provision they have for their family. They're giving it to God in worship because everything they had came from God. God was gracious to provide for them everything they needed. And so they gave back abundantly to God. And when they put it on the altar and the smoke rised up, it was symbolic. It was a picture that it was rising up to the nostrils of God. That God was smelling their external offerings that were a picture of an internal reality. That they had offered their things and these uh, offerings before God with hearts surrendered, with thankful, worshipful hearts. They were offering this to God and it was rising to his nostrils. And he was accepting it and he was thankful and he was um, grateful as they credited him for their provisions and their health. And so the last thing for us to think about, to bring this all home, just a few thoughts. The first thing is the missing piece. <laughs> you get that? The missing, the missing, missing piece. Generally, if you have to explain it, it's not really funny, usually. But I um, thought I'd try. So the missing piece, what do I mean by that? Well, the missing piece was the fact that we are missing something in our world. In fact, um, when you, if you're to meet a Jewish person today, they would greet you often and they would say, Shalom. Shalom. Shalom is peace. And that would be how they would greet you. Peace. Peace to you. Peace to you. And it was actually almost, often it's almost a question. It's almost like we would say, how are you? They would say, is the peace with you? Is what they're saying. When they say Shalom, it's, it's a declaration of peace to you. And it's also kind of a question of, is there peace with you? Is there peace with you? And so the question for us as believers is God has called us to bring his peace on earth, to bring his peace. Peace is a picture of shalom. The shalom of God is a picture of 
wholeness and completeness. The biblical concept means that there's an absence of hostility. Um, it, it's more than just, the biblical concept is more than just the absence of, of, of war or hostility. It's not just a psychological state. I'm at peace right now. So psychologically, I'm doing all right. I don't have, I'm not anxious. I'm peaceful right now. It's, it's much more than that. It's bringing wholeness and completeness. Peace is the manifestation of the divine grace of God. It's, it's a condition or a sense of harmony and prosperity and well-being. So later, some Jewish writers in the Talmud and the Mishnah, extra books that kind of explain parts of the Bible, they started to use a phrase that kind of explained the shalom of God as, um, as tikkun olam. And it meant literally to repair the world. We live in a world that is in desperate need of the peace of God. We live in a world that is in a desperate need of the wholeness and the completeness and the repair that only comes through Christ. And it's not, rest assured, a statement for social activism. That's not the point of this thing. It's that Jesus brought into the situation, his blood put over the sins of the people. He is the one who provides peace, can restore people together, can provide unity. He can bring races together. He can bring political parties together. He can bring people far from God, into a right relationship with Him. Education will not do it. The university, unity and diversity, will never bring people together. Political systems will never. The election will never achieve peace, nor has any election before, will any election in the future, uh, has it ever brought peace. Technology won't bring peace. Healthcare system, not going to be peace. Medical establishment of medical um, achievements not going to bring peace science no peace how can we experience wholeness and completeness how can we how can we restore repair the world through the peace of god and so the missing peace comes through christ let me give you some i'm going to read a couple of verses really quickly you can write the references down because i want you to see how this peace offering what does it look like in light of the new testament so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Going on three verses later, verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. He's reconciled. He's made one body, it says in Ephesians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through him reconciled to himself all things, whether on her earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The missing peace comes to the blood of Christ. God has brought it to us. And so that peace offering, uh, Psalms 116, verses 15 through 16, says, through him then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, the acknowledgement of his name do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to god and then in hebrews chapter 13 through 15 through 16 that verse is kind of carried over from psalms 15 to hebrews 13 verse 15 through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So praise God verbally. So I don't know how to talk to my neighbors about Christ. Well, just offer the fruit of your lips, a sacrifice of praise to God and, and, 
declare to them how God has blessed you and provided for you and share that with them. And when they say, man, you don't have to give me Listen, God has blessed me and I want to be a blessing to you. God has provided for me and I want to be a provision for you. I want to just encourage you. I just want to, God has freely poured out. I want to pour out on you. And so that is what we mean. We talk about the missing piece. It is, comes through Christ, the shalom of God brought to repair and to fix and to bring completeness and wholeness in your life and in the lives of those around us. The second thing is food for thought, food for thought. Every meal is an opportunity for thanksgiving and for worship. Shortly, you are going to partake in a meal this afternoon, I imagine. I mean, there might be some of you that are here to, you, you're, you've got a plan to fast and pray today, but I would imagine most of you have a plan for, you're going to eat, you're going to eat some food here. And so let's think about this for a second. If the, the peace offering was an opportunity for us to worship God and to bring this offering and they would give a portion to God and the rest of it, they got to eat with their family and their friends It was an extension of their worship to God. Their meals were an extension of their worship to God. And what if we turned every meal we eat, particularly those that have food, that have meat there, but any, which is probably most of our meals, but any offering we bring, and we say, this is an offering to God. What if we treated every meal as a time to praise, for praise and thanksgiving, for the riches of his inheritance in Christ and the provision of his food uh, is, is food and his provisions for us. Every meal is an opportunity for us to turn our hearts and our minds to the goodness of God and to preach and declare his goodness to other people. I don't know if you're noticing the obvious theme in this passage, but sharing the gospel, declaring the peace of God to the world around you is not something extra that you need to do. It's just simply acknowledging God's provision with your mouth every day. Whenever you see God's provision, it's just saying, man, I just want to praise God. I want to praise God. I'm thankful that God has done this or done that. Taking every meal and using it as an opportunity to declare the praises of God with those who eat with you. You can share Christ so easily every day if we just did this as a way of life as we are encouraged to do that and the last so the last thing is weighing your worship and this is the application as you leave this morning i want to give you two contrasting pictures that we find throughout the bible there are mentions to the offering of peace throughout the new testament there's mentions mentionings of the offering peace throughout the psalms there's mentionings of the thanksgiving offering the vow offering the peace offering the different offering and all of these are other ways of saying the same thing and they're referring back to this offering prescribed in leviticus chapter three but in proverbs chapter seven there's an interesting warning uh proverbs i don't know if you're very familiar with proverbs but proverbs six and seven is a warning from a father to his sons to stay away from the immoral woman he says, you've got to beware of her, man. She will lure you in and she will destroy your life. And you've got to be careful. There, there's things out there. There's temptations out there that can pull you in. And, and ladies, this is true for you too. There's temptations out there that are, that are trying to allure you and promising you things that, that will never be delivered. And you will lose your life if you run after those things. They'll destroy your life. The thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy. And he knows what bait to use. But in describing this immoral, seductive temptress, he gets down and he actually mentions of her in verse 14 that says that she, she says, I had to offer sacrifices, peace offerings. And today I have paid my vows, my vow offering. I've paid my vows. And then 
it goes on to say that with no remorse, she goes and she invites men into uh, immorality the very same day. It's the equivalent of coming before God in worship and praise on a Sunday morning and we maybe partake in the Lord's Supper and we, we, we eat the Lord's Supper together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And then, then we go back to our lives and we just, as if that never happened, as if we have not celebrated the, the sacrifice of Christ, that like Jesus has provided provision for our sins, forgiveness through the cross. And we go back through our day as if that had never happened. And we go and we look at some pornography or we go and we, uh, we, we gossip about a neighbor or a friend or a person that we don't really like, we're a little frustrated, or we, we get mad. We, we go into unapologetic immorality as if what we did this morning has no implications on the rest of our life. That there's a disconnect. And God's saying, you better weigh your worship. And Amos, he says, I'm sick of you bringing the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the peace offerings. I'm sick of your songs. They nauseate me. What I want is a broken and contrite heart. What I want is, is there to be sincerity and authenticity in a real heart behind those things. God sees through our superficial actions. I want to encourage you, beware of going through the motions. Beware of those who use religion or peace offerings as a cloak for their sin. Just going through the motions, and singing praises to God. Often we lift our holy hands to God. And in fact, often what we're doing is we're showing the things that are dirtiest about us. Our hands are a picture often of, of what we have done with our days. And often we have hands that are really covered with dirt because of the sin in our lives. And then we, we come in and we sing songs and we act like everything's great. You know, one side I can, I can tease you guys about, man, you should be a little more passionate and fired up when you sing. You guys should be able to clap a little more and get a little more into it. But then there's plenty of groups that, man, they are all about demonstrative, celebrative worship. They sing with passion and zeal. They sway, they clap, they get into it, and yet their lives might not be any different. The answer isn't sing louder, clap better, although that would not be bad. But the answer is not be more solemn. The answer is that when we sing and we declare the praises of God, are they coming from a heart with sincerity? Or do we just need to get on our faces before God? On a Sunday morning, maybe the most demonstrative, most exciting, most passionate thing you could do is turn around in your seat and drop to your knees and turn your chair into an altar and just get before the Lord and pray. Maybe you just need to, to find a space or something, not where somebody's going to trip over you, or maybe come down the front or off to the sides and just get there and pray. Maybe you just go in the lobby and you just need to sit down and pray, and you just know that my heart is not right before God, and I need to get right before God because I am singing and declaring things that I do not believe with my mouth, and I am lying that I believe these things, and I don't believe. I don't care about God, and maybe we just need to get right before God and weigh our worship. The last thing I want to share with you is Real worship. So there's false worship and then there's real worship. Authentic, sincere worship. And, and I would encourage you to go home, and I'm not going to read this whole passage, but it is beautiful how it demonstrates this. Beautiful, the whole passage. But Psalm 66, please write down Psalms 66, verse 16. If I could just read a portion of it, and then we're done. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you, I will tell what God has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. I, if I have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my 
prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer and or removed his steadfast love from me. If you read the whole of Psalms 66, it is a passage that refers to the offering of peace that has been brought before the Lord with humility going, I I don't deserve anything, but God has been so gracious to deliver me. He has come through. He has delivered me. He has provided for me. He has come through when when I thought there was no hope and I want to declare the praises of God. And so if I would just go through these things and I was just saying them, God would not hear them. But truly, God has listened and has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer and removed his steadfast love for me. What do you lay down before your children? What do you lay down in the everyday of your life? What is it that you lift up and you declare? Is your heart surrendered? Are your offerings presented as thanksgiving? Not just going through the motions, but sincerely you realize that God has provided blood sacrifice for you, that he has satisfied the wrath of God forever for you. And on top of that, you live a life as you're in the process of being sanctified and conformed to his image that glorifies God. On top of that, you live a life of thanksgiving and praise and you declare his praises to the neighbors and to the people and your family and around your table. You regularly celebrate every day, all the time, all that God has done and is doing in your life. And that's the focus, not the Hail Mary pass yesterday. Not that your team pulled it off in the end. Not that you get, how do we get excited about that stuff? And yet we yawn when we talk about the fact that God has provided eternal peace for us. He's provided wholeness and he's provided completeness and he wants to repair the broken world through us and we yawn at that. There's a disconnect. We need to realize that we have a holy God and we are an unclean people and God has provided provisions. He's provided a sacrifice and we have been restored, not just so we can be saved and go to heaven forever, but so that we can declare his praises to lost people who have not heard the gospel. To listen to Levi and his passion for a part of one nation that's bigger than the population of our world, our country. United States of America. And he's got a plan. Whatever. Do, do we even think about our neighbors? Do we even care about our street? Do we care about our city? There's people that need to know the peace of God. They need to know the peace of God. They need wholeness and completeness. And they need their worlds pre- repaired the shalom of God, and we are to bring that and make that tangible to the world around us. That is our mission. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you do not know the peace of God, you have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you are in awareness right now of your need for repentance and faith in Christ, I would ask you to come. I'll be in the back of the room. I'd love to talk with you. Please don't leave either during this time of worship. Come talk to me or after the service. Don't leave the building until you have nailed that down. And number two, if, you, if, you're, if you're weighing your worship right now, what's your life like? Are you, are you going through the motions? We all do. Right now, what are, is, or is your heart fully surrendered to Christ? You recognize the covering has been made for your sin. And peace with God has been made through the cross for you to declare his praises to the nations. I would ask you to just repent and trust in Christ anew experience his forgiveness that comes from the cross that you can declare his praises even today when you break bread with your family or friends 
again, a testament of God's gracious daily provisions for us. Father, I pray that you would bring these truths into focus in our hearts and reorient our people, our hearts and our lives, God, that your people would understand that we would not go through the motions of busyness and the craziness of this world, but that we would stand out as bright lights, a city on the hill as we declare that you alone provide, you alone heal, you alone can restore, you alone can bring healing in our nation and in the world. And one day we will be before your throne, praising with every tongue and every tribe and every nation until that moment. Father, we want to be about making your kingdom tangible, taking the peace of God to the streets. God, would you so empower us and send us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.